is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. I want this morning to continue our series looking at the presence of God. And last week we looked at a, uh, a foundational issue uh, to do with that, which was being baptised in the Holy Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit. And um, it's probably worth saying that that wasn't just a last week only message, if you like, but rather being filled, empowered, baptised by whatever word you choose to use, of the Holy Spirit is actually relevant for all of us all the time. It isn't just a one-off occurrence that maybe happened some years ago, but rather should be our ongoing experience of daily life. Actually, as a Christian, we see in Scripture that we're meant to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And uh, I want to encourage us to, to stay in that place, to stay in that place hungry for more of God and to stay in the place of being empowered by his spirits. But this morning, I want to look particularly at what our Sunday morning meetings should look like. Now, the danger in this message, there's probably a couple of of dangers to us. The first one is that it could give the impression that God is only interested in Sunday mornings. Let me say right up front, that is not the case. Okay? God is interested in every part of our life, every moment of it, whether we're gathered together on a Sunday morning such as we are now, or we're in our place of work or leisure or whatever it is that we're doing in the week, God is as interested in those moments as he is in this moment. I made that really clear. So I'm not elevating this to any particular special status However, I do want to spend some time, we'll do this in a moment, looking at what our meetings should look like, because that is relevant to us as we, as we gather together. A new sense recently we've had of God's presence with us, uh, a new awareness of him being close. There's been a greater sense of freedom in our worship times. It's been great to experience, and we're loving that. But actually, that's not just for Sunday morning. That is to be taken into every part of life. And there will be other messages that will be more about that every part of life. But this morning's message is more about Sunday mornings. What happens as we gather together? Because we do need to manage our meetings well. And that's what I want to look at. And now the other danger, the first danger was appearing that's more important, which it isn't. The other danger in this message is that it could come over as though we somehow want to control or squash what God is doing. And again, that is absolutely not the case either. It really, really isn't. It's quite the opposite. I want us to press in to all that God has for us. And if I'm honest, and I probably should be, If I'm honest, I'm a little nervous on preaching this message because the last thing we want to do is is squash what God is doing. 
And there is a, a part of me that is thinking, I would just, is, is, the phrase that keeps coming to mind is not touching the ark. If you're familiar with the Old Testament accounts of the people of God moving the ark of God's presence, where God's presence dwelt, they weren't to touch it and there was judgment if they did. They had to treat it well and carry it in a certain way. We need to be treating the presence of God well and honouring him coming to us. But there is this place for leading us well into this season. And the Bible is pretty clear on some of the parameters of a, of a gathered community meeting like we have this morning. When the church gathers together and worships, the Bible gives us some guidelines as to what that should look like. It's not completely prescriptive, but there are some things that the Bible tells us that we should take note of. And it's these things that I want us to look at this morning in order that they may help us in this season that we're in at the moment. Does that make sense? Have I communicated that well? Is that, is that okay? So that's where we're going. And uh, as we were talking in the week, Adam and I, uh, about this message and about this morning, we were thinking actually it made more sense to, to preach it a little bit earlier and then come back to worship God together. So that's what we're going to do. That's why uh, we've um, decided to do it that way around. So if you have a Bible with you, please can you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Either turn, scroll, click, or whatever it is you do. Or some of you just recall to mind, perhaps. Maybe that's it. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We'll start reading from verse 26. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. We'll read to the end of the chapter. What shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or the most three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must, must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. For it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anybody thinks he is a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we... Thank you for your word to us. And we pray now as we spend these moments looking at it together 
that you would help us to understand what we've read, that, Lord, you'd help us to apply it in our own lives and in Jubilee. Lord, right at the outset of this, we want to say, Father, that we want our meetings to glorify you. We want them to be done in a fitting and orderly way in order that we might be encouraged, that we might encounter you, and most of all, you might be worshipped and honoured and glorified. And so as we spend these moments looking at this passage of scripture together we pray holy spirit would you be our teacher would you help us to understand what we've read that we might put it into practice we ask it in jesus name and everybody said amen okay so i want to work backwards through the text now that's not because i think it will say something different by going backwards okay but I just I want to get spend some more time on the, the front end of what we've read. So we'll start at the end of this passage and uh, and work backwards, and you'll perhaps see why when we get there. So to start with, in verse forty, Paul says everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. See, that's why we're looking at this subject because we want things to be done well in a way that honours God, that's fitting and orderly. It doesn't mean that we can tie everything down, that we're going to put God in a box and somehow limit what he could do, if that was possible anyway, which I don't believe it is. That's not our intention in this at all. But we do want things to be done well, in a way that honours God, is fitting and orderly. Now, just to be clear, I don't think we're in danger here. Okay, I don't think we are in the same danger that the Corinthians were, for example. They were quite different. So we know from reading this letter that they had people getting drunk and gorging themselves at the communion meal. So serious was their sin in not treating the Lord's Supper in the right way that Paul says some of them were under judgment, had fallen sick or even died. The Corinthians, too, were proud of their sexual immorality and were taking lawsuits against one another. And all this was within the church. So this is the sort of situation that Paul is writing into. They needed to be told about doing things decently and in order. And whilst we may need to be reminded, we're not in the same place that they were. It seems, too, that their meetings were chaotic Many spiritual gifts, no order whatsoever. So what would Paul's instructions be to a church like that, that have gone mad on spiritual gifts and the presence of God and his chaotic meetings? What might Paul say in that situation? Would he say, clamp down, no more, don't do it? No, actually quite the reverse. He's encouraging things to be done decently and in order but the last thing he wants to say is no more of that spiritual gift stuff. No, no, far from it. Verse 39. Be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. Even in the context where there had been so much misuse of spiritual gifts, Paul still encourages prophecy and speaking in tongues. In fact, he says, be eager to prophesy. He'd say that to us this morning. Be eager. Are you eager to prophesy? 
Do you come to a Sunday morning eager to contribute, eager to prophesy, eager to encourage one another, eager to see each other built up? That's what Paul says here. He says, be eager to prophesy. And don't forbid speaking in tongues. So even to a church that was chaotic in its meetings, Paul wasn't clamping down, but he was bringing some order. But he was still saying, be eager. And don't forbid speaking in tongues. So what about the, um, the verses from verse 34? About women remaining silent and not being allowed to speak well i don't want to spend long on these verses but we need to answer the question what's going on here why is paul saying this what's behind him saying this what what's happening here well as you read the commentaries on 1 corinthians many commentators spend some time on these verses far longer than i would want to do this morning And what they describe is about how the Corinthian meetings may have been set out. And in fact, it would probably apply to many early church meetings. The layout of the meeting would have been based, they say, on the Jewish synagogue. So the men would have been on one side and the women would have been on the other side. They would have been separated. And what commentators say was happening here is that women were shouting to their husbands, what's going on? And asking them questions about it and uh, inquiring of their husbands as to what was happening in the meeting and perhaps asking for some explanation and help in understanding. But they weren't sitting next to them. They weren't just whispering, what's happening here? As you might do to your other half if you have one and have one with you. No, no, it was shouting across the room. And commentators say this is what Paul is speaking into being very disruptive. Because you can imagine, can't you? You know, I mean, let's illustrate it just so you see. So, Joe, if you can just go and sit over there for a moment for me, just right at the end of that row. And uh, if you can sort of shout out something to Steve for me in a sort of fairly loud voice, which you you may have inside you somewhere. Um, Now, yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. And then imagine perhaps Steve trying to answer her or, you know, imagine that, you know, multiplied by many, many times. It'd be a nightmare, wouldn't it? You may go back and sit with your husband now. You're enjoying it there. It'd be a nightmare, wouldn't it? And commentators say this is what was happening in the Corinthian meetings. It doesn't mean that women can't contribute or bring spiritual gifts. Because if you look at other passages of Scripture, it makes it very clear that they can. So you have to sort of work and say, what's going on here? What's Paul talking about? You see, the letters, many of the letters in the New Testament are written to specific situations. So they're written in response to something. So we don't always get the picture of what the initial situation is. We get the answer. It's like seeing half of the picture. We need to pray and ask God what it is that is is really going on here and ask him to help us to understand. So I don't believe it means for one moment that women can't contribute or can't bring spiritual gifts. So we're not saying that at all. But hopefully you'll have seen by our expert drama illustration there um, 
that that's the sort of situation that Paul was speaking into and seeking to bring some order to. And that's why we've got those verses there. But let's get back to the beginning of the passage. This is what I want to spend some time on. Verse 26, we start at. Paul says, what should we say then, brothers? On well, some versions it's got, what should we say then, brothers and sisters? Depending on how recent your translation is. When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let's define the word everyone to start with. Now, this is going to be difficult and complex, and we need to spend a lot of time in the original Greek, because what it means is this, everyone. It really is as simple as that. There's no hidden meaning here. It means everyone. This is a simple phrase. It's just one word, but we do need to understand it, because it illustrates that the way of the New Testament church is very different to how things were in the Old Testament. So, in the Old Testament, only the priests could minister before the Lord. In fact, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, and that only once a year. So it wasn't as you could come up as a, as a member of the Israelite community and go, right, I'm going to go into the Holy of Holies now, and just sort of wander in. That wasn't allowed. You couldn't do that. You couldn't approach God like that. But now... Things are very different. The New Testament makes it very clear. Now we are all priests. Now we can all come. Now we can all enter. Because of anything we've done? No, no, no. Because of the sacrifice that Jesus has made on the cross for us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You see, royal priesthood isn't just a nice phrase. It has all sorts of connections and connotations with the Old Testament. They would have realized this. Peter's Jewish audience would have got that. Now they're all priests. Now they can all come in. Now they don't have to belong to a certain group. No, no, no. Once they've trusted in Jesus, put their hope and faith in him. Once they've accepted what he has done for them, then they can come. They can enter in. They're all priests. And so we need to understand that bringing a contribution, bringing a spiritual gift, is not limited to any small select group of people. It's for everyone. Not just leaders, not just those of a certain age, not just those with certain education or experience, but really everyone. It really is open to everyone. Turn to the person next to you and say, everyone. It really is. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone will bring something. But it certainly means that anyone could bring something. And the reason it doesn't mean necessarily everybody will is purely a time factor. 
there are certain limitations on time. And so for everyone to bring something, we'd, we'd be here for a while. And as we grow, we'd be here even longer. So it doesn't mean that everybody necessarily will, but it certainly means that anybody could. And that includes you. So what is it they might bring? What are these contributions that Paul talks about here? Well, he lists, he lists the following, doesn't he? He lists a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, and an interpretation. So let's consider them briefly. So songs and hymns. Now, these don't just have to be from the band. Now, it's great to have a band. I love having a band. I thought they sounded really good this morning, didn't they? Some of some, few people agreed there. Few people agreed. So they sounded good this morning. So it's great to have some gifted musicians who can lead us and who can help us. But songs don't just have to come from them; they may come from you. So, oh yeah, I started one this morning. Now I've got a few that I, I would often start. Probably most of the worship leaders could tell you what the top six are that I'm likely to sing out. Maybe you've got your favourites as well. But that's good. We can do that. And you don't have to worry about what key it's in. Because if we, we get it wrong, we'll just stop and start it again. And that's okay. You see, it doesn't have to be perfect. Yes, we want an excellence that honours God. But that's not some perfectionism that means... We can't just go for it. Does that make sense? So I encourage us to, to sing out and to start songs. Preferably songs that other people will know. And songs that glorify God and worship Him. I have a friend who is a church leader whose name I will not reveal publicly, but I may tell you if you ask me afterwards. And he was in a prayer meeting and he started a song with great gusto and enthusiasm and started singing out. And he got about halfway through the first verse and realised it was a song from high school musical that I'd been watching with his kids <laughs> and not a worship song. At that point, what do you do? Do you stop or do you keep going? <laughs> I think he just sort of kept going and got to the end and then sort of just died quietly in the corner. <laughs> so, preferably a song that, you know, honours Jesus, helps us to worship him. But we can do that, friends. Can't we? We, we can bring songs that help one another to worship Jesus. And the challenge for worship leaders is not to over-prepare, but to have some flexibility and be open to God leading in that way. So we can bring hymns and songs. We've got a word of instruction, a lesson as some translations put it. I think that's like a testimony. You know, this is what God has done for me this week. This is what God has done in my life. This is what I want to thank him for. This is what I want to share with you what God has done for me so that you can rejoice in it and be encouraged. I think we should have some more things like that, don't you? Because they're encouraging, aren't they? they? They build our faith. They help us. They encourage us. We've got here a revelation, a prophetic word about God's character, perhaps. Paul says this, everyone who prophesies 
speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. He who prophesies edifies or builds up the church. Verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 14. So as you prophesy, you bring strength, you bring encouragement, you bring comfort to people. Isn't that a good thing to do? Wouldn't you want to prophesy strength and encouragement and comfort to people? See, prophecy is God speaking to us. Or maybe God giving us a fresh realisation of biblical truth. That now word that speaks into our hearts says, ah, yes. Now to be clear, prophetic word like that cannot and will not contradict this book. Prophetic word cannot and will not contradict Scripture. But it can illuminate Scripture to us, help us to see it afresh, help us to see something fresh of God's character and his goodness and his love for us. Now, sometimes it's spoken, sometimes it's sung. Now, I love sung prophetic words, and they're great. We're encouraged in the Psalms, aren't we, to sing a new song to the Lord. I think this is some, some of that sometimes, you know. And it might be that um, either you sing it out or speak it out, and it might be in the first person or the third person. So you could, for example, bring a prophetic word that says, you know, I just feel that God wants to remind us of his love for us and uh, wants to remind us of his goodness towards us. You could bring it like that. Or you might bring the same word, actually, by, by bringing it like this. You might say, I feel God would say this to us. I want to remind you of my love. I want to remind you of my goodness towards you. It's the same message. You can bring it either way. I'm not sure it really matters because the heart in, is, is, in it is the same. But the thing to remember is to bring it with some degree of humility. You don't need a prophetic voice. You don't need to say, thus saith the Lord, either at the beginning or the end of it or halfway through. You just need to bring it in your normal voice. And I'd encourage you to bring it with a degree of humility. I think that's right. So even if you're going to bring it as, you know, God speaking, you can start it by saying, I feel that God would want to say this to us. Do you see, does that make sense? Since we learn these things, it will help us to encourage one another. Paul says two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. We'll come back to what that means in a moment. But remember that prophetic words, these things are for encouragement. They're for building up. They're for edifying, for strengthening. We want to hear those things as we gather together. Now, I've said before, and I'll say it again in this context, if you feel that God's spoken to you about something which is more judgmental or directional, then you should really come and share it with the elders first so that we can help you weigh that. Because we want to provide an environment that is safe, secure, and where together we can hear from God and grow in him. That's what we want to do. Paul goes on to talk about tongues and uh, interpretations. Well, speaking or singing in tongues is our spirit inspired by the Holy Spirit speaking or singing to God. And tongues is either an unlearnt earthly language 
Or it's a heavenly language that helps us to worship Jesus. I've been in meetings where I've heard somebody pray out in a tongue and it's turned out to be another human language that they hadn't known. And somebody else has brought an interpretation of it which has been dead accurate because they happen to speak that language. You think, wow, God is doing something. There have been plenty of meetings where people have brought tongues which are a heavenly language and have called us up in worship of him. It's a Godward thing. Prophecy is God speaking to us. Tongues is us speaking to the Lord. And it might be that we all speak out or sing in tongues together. That sometimes happens. We call it singing in the Spirit. It's lift our voices and our hearts to the Lord. But sometimes somebody speaks out in a tongue in a public meeting and the Bible is very clear. Paul talks about when that happens, there needs to be an interpretation so we understand what has been said. It's not a translation. It's not a word-for-word thing like you might do a translation in an exam. But it's interpretation of what the Holy Spirit shows you has been spoken or sung about. It might be that you use tongues in personal worship, just you and God at home or out for a walk, or, or in the car, whatever it might be. You just run out of words, or you don't know how to pray, and you just pray or sing out in tongues. Tongues often stir up other gifts, and so we need to leave space for them. And so Paul gives these instructions about prophecy particularly. He says, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And that's really important. Practically speaking, if you've heard four or five or six prophetic words or contributions, you're probably not going to remember the first one. We're certainly not going to do you any good because you have heard so much else since then. You think, what was the first one again? What was God saying? And so what Paul says is two or three should speak and the others should weigh carefully what he says. So as well as hearing prophetic words, we're told to weigh them and weigh them carefully and sometimes the question comes well who does the weighing is it the prophets is it the congregation is it leaders and who is it that's going to be weighing these prophetic words well i think it's all of those groups of people actually it's the prophet the other prophets it's the congregation together saying do we feel god's spoken in that what is it that the lord's saying to us the weighing just means to ask those sort of questions does this sit right? Do we feel God speaking to us here? Yeah, does, it, does this seem like the sort of thing God would say to us? See, the reality of all our contributions, all our spiritual gifts, is that they're a mix of the human and divine. Yes, God's Holy Spirit works in us and through us and stirs spiritual gifts, but they're still brought through fleshly and often sinful human beings. So what you get is a mix. You get that mix of the human and the divine together. Now hopefully it's more of God and less of us. But the reality is there's always a mix in there somewhere. So we we do need to weigh it. So how do you do that? Well, firstly you ask this question. Is what I've just heard, does that tie up with what the Bible says? It's the first question to ask. Does it tie up with what God has already said in his word? If it doesn't, if it contradicts scripture, that's a pretty safe bet actually that we're not going to receive that prophetic word. It doesn't mean that the person bringing it is evil necessarily. 
Probably not. <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean they intended to get it wrong. But remember, these things are a mix, the human and divine. But we do need to weigh things carefully. So does it tie up what God has said already in Scripture? Does it tie up what God has said previously? Has God already spoken about this? Maybe in the same meeting, maybe on previous occasions, maybe in years past. Has God spoken about this before? In the last year or two, I've been in a number of meetings and had some prophetic words on a particular theme. And um, it took me a while to realise, but I, yeah, I remember God speaking about this theme years ago. I sort of dug out my notes and managed to get hold of what God had said previously. And I thought, oh yeah, God has spoken about this before. And he's starting to speak about it again. He said, he often does that. That's why it's good to keep a record of these things because we can see if God's spoken about it before. And thirdly, does it sit right? Do you feel it's from the Lord? Does, your Holy, does the Spirit in you, does the Holy Spirit in you witness to it? Or do you feel, oh no, that doesn't, doesn't seem right. God has given us his spirit in us to help us weigh these things together. And fourthly, you might ask the question, well, what are the implications or challenges, therefore? If God is speaking, is there any action on our part, either together or individually? Because the danger is this. We can hear a prophetic word and we go, oh, that was nice. God spoke this morning. But actually, he's calling us to action. He's calling us to do something. He's maybe calling us to change. So actually, it's not just that we can say, oh, that was nice, God spoke. But actually, that he can work his will in our lives and make us more like him. So they're the sort of questions that we need to ask ourselves. Now, I've used the two phrases this morning. I've spoken of spiritual gifts and of contributions. I think spiritual gifts is probably the better phrase to, to use because that's something that the Holy Spirit inspires in us, spiritual gifts that he stirs up. I want to encourage us to be going for these things. Paul's really clear with the Corinthians, isn't he? Be eager. Be eager to prophesy. Now, don't stop speaking in tongues. It says in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 14, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Some spiritual gifts build us up as individuals. Many build up the church. Paul says, seek to excel in those that, that build up the church. As I begin to finish, let me just make a final comment or two. What are we going for in our meetings? What's important to us together? What are we looking for as we, we gather? I used to think it was all about contributions. And I've probably focused on that in the past. And I would have encouraged us to bring contributions in our worship time together. And that's not a bad thing. However, I think I've probably moved on in my understanding you see, the goal of worship is not contributions. That shouldn't be the measure of a successful meeting, whatever that may be. The goal of worship is to glorify Jesus and encounter him. Amen? That's our goal in worship. And in this series, we're looking at the presence of God. 
We want God's presence to be manifest as we worship Him. We want to meet with Him. We want to be changed, don't we? As we seek to glorify God and honour Him as we worship. That's what we're going for. So contributions, therefore, are not a goal in and of themselves, but rather they are a vehicle to help us on the journey. So our goal is to glorify Jesus, to worship Him, to see Him exalted, for us to encounter Him by His presence. Contributions will help us to get there. Spiritual gifts will help us to get there. They're not the end goal in themselves, but they do help us on the journey. And let me say this as well. The more we experience God's presence, the more I believe we'll have more people hearing God's voice. And there'll be more spiritual gifts and contributions. However, we still have the same amount of time. There is still the same amount of time between when you get here and when you get home for your roast chicken or whatever it is you happen to have in the oven. So how do we manage that? What do we do about that? Well, it probably means that we won't get everybody in. See, I've noticed recently it's a real challenge to hosting a meeting on a Sunday. Lots of you are coming forward with with contributions, with spiritual gifts, with prophetic words, wanting to contribute that and encourage the church with it, which is great, and we want more of that. And I want to encourage you in that. I don't want to say, don't stop. No, don't stop doing that. Do more of that. However, we still only have the same amount of time. So it may mean, even though you have heard from God, even though he's spoken to you, even though you know you've got something to bring, it may mean you don't get to bring it. And it doesn't, if that's the case, it doesn't mean you got it wrong. It doesn't mean you haven't heard from God. It doesn't mean that what you had wasn't good. It just means probably we're out of time. Or maybe we've had two or three and we just need to stop and pause for a moment. We might have some others later in the meeting. But, you know, after two or three, you just need to stop and go, let's just weigh that. Let's just pause. Let's just let it settle. Let God speak to us. Let's think about it for a moment. Rather than have half a dozen in one go and go, what was God saying to start with? Because we can't quite remember it. So I want to say to you, please keep wanting to contribute. Please keep coming with prophetic words. But please, please don't be offended if you don't get to bring it. Can I ask you that? Please don't be offended if you don't get to bring it. It's so important. It is so easy for for to take offence, isn't it? For any any of us to take offence. And the devil would love for you to take offence and be disgruntled. Don't be. Ephesians 5, 21 talks about submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We need to do that in this context, to learn to submit to one another. You know, I can think of meetings I've been in, I've wanted to bring something, I've taken a long walk to the front of the meeting, spoken to the person hosting the meeting, expecting to get the microphone because I've heard from God, and they've said, that's great, but not for now. Ah. And you sort of turn around, and there's a long walk back to your seat, thinking, oh, did I get it right? 
oh, I thought I got it right. Did he get it wrong not letting me to bring it? You know, asking all these questions. And at that moment, you have to make a decision and a choice not to get grumpy about it. Just to go, that's okay. It's okay. God's still here. We're worshipping him. He's speaking to us. We're being encouraged. It's all good. But hear me, you need to make a decision in that moment. Not to get grumpy about it, not to take offence. I know what it's like. (laughs) And I want to encourage us together, be eager to prophesy, be running to the front wanting to bring something, but please don't be offended if you don't get to. Is that okay? Are we all agreed on that? We all sign off on that? We agree not to get grumpy or offended or upset about it? But also, I'd encourage you in this, get in early. Because if you're coming up at you know, quarter to 11, whatever it is we're finishing worship, well, it's going to be tougher to get in. If, you're not, if you come up at five past ten, you go, well, there's a good chance of you getting in there, isn't there? So if, if a couple of weeks you haven't got in, then get in early. Just you know, jump to the front. Somebody saw me before the meeting this morning and said, I've got a prophetic word. It's great. We'll hear it in a minute. Um, but be eager to prophesy. Be eager to contribute. Perhaps the band can come up. We're going to spend a bit of time worshipping Jesus in a minute. Now, all these things should help us to host the presence of the Lord, to value that, to seek to worship him and encounter him as we do it. And as we do that, we find that we are changed and empowered by Christ for his mission. That's what we want to see, isn't it? We want to see ourselves changed and empowered by Christ for his mission. So actually what God does in these moments as we gather together is he meets us, he speaks to us, he encourages us in order that he might empower us for what happens outside this meeting. And we'll spend some time on other Sundays looking at that in more detail. Let's stand together and I'm going to pray and then Adam and the band are going to lead us. Lou, I'd like you to bring that um, word, perhaps after the song or something. That would be good. Lord Jesus, thank you that we find in your word some instructions to help us as we worship you. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you would help us in this season to do that well. Help us, Lord, to seek to honour you at every turn. We say, Lord, that we want to be eager to prophesy, eager to contribute, eager to build up one another and encourage one another in order that you might be glorified and that you might change us and empower us for all that you have for us. And so, Lord, even in these moments as we worship you once again, we pray, be exalted, Lord, be lifted up. We worship you. We love you, Jesus. We say, please keep coming to us. Please keep stirring us by your spirit. Lord, please will we keep encountering you in our times together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.